0: Our passage today is in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm reading out of the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: amen thank you bert good morning trinity church so good to see you here this morning for those of you that are joining us online in our live stream service this morning thanks for tuning in and being a part of this service just invite you to engage in worship hopefully you already have been doing that but to continue to do that as we go into the word Um, i'm pastor jeff Gangle. it's uh, my privilege to bring the Word today, but really we've already been so tremendously blessed by those songs. Allison's always thank you for the choices, for the, the, bringing those songs together. Did you notice the superlatives that we were singing today? Only a holy God, that He is the only one, nothing is better than Him, and that He is the only one worthy of our praise and our, our adoration and our worship. Those superlatives true of our God, and we have the privilege of worshiping Him and talking about Him, learning about Him together today. So uh, it's, for no other reason, it's a great day because we have that privilege here together. And uh, I'm excited about our passage coming up here. Um, If you I already have a Bible ready. I see some of you have your Bible open. Great. If not, get it ready because after I pray in a moment, we're going to dive right into this wonderful story. So uh, have your Bible ready, your phone, whatever you're going to follow along on, and uh, we will be looking at that last chapter of Ruth today and completing this series called Restored. So let's pause for a moment and ask God's blessing on our time in the Word. Our Lord Jesus, it has been amazing just to be able to sing about You, about Your holiness, about Your goodness, about the supremacy of who You are, and the worthiness that we proclaim that You alone deserve our worship because You gave Your life for us. So, Lord Jesus, when in the beauty of that worship and in the reality of your person and your work, we come now to your word and we ask that you would pour your spirit into us, that you would pour understanding into us, that you would help us to grab a hold of what you're saying to us, what this this story, this passage means to us for our own salvation, our own redemption and how we should respond to you as our Lord and as our King. And I pray, Lord, as I always do, that you would guard my words, help me to rightly, accurately communicate your truth today. And, Lord, asking that by the power of your living word and by the power of your living spirit in us, you would teach us and form us and and remind us of how beautiful This redemption is. This we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, it turned out Naomi was right. If you remember from last week in chapter 3 of the book of Ruth, Naomi hatched a plan and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, went to the threshing floor and presented Boaz, the landowner, the kinsman, to their family, a relative of their family, with this plan, this idea To be their kinsman redeemer, their guardian redeemer. And if you don't know what that is yet, hang on, because that's coming. She presents it, and Boaz responds in the affirmative. He says, Yes, I will do this for you. And he tells Ruth that there's a problem. If you remember from last week, it all looks like it's going so well. And then he says, but there's this issue, Boaz says, there's another relative, somebody who's closer than I am, and he has first right for this redemption. But hang on, it's okay, I'm going to take care of this. So Ruth goes home, she goes to Naomi, she tells her everything that happened at the threshing floor, and Naomi hears the story, hears about Boaz's response and says these words in chapter 3, the very last verse, she says, the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Naomi was right. And so that brings us to our passage today, and you heard the first few verses of Ruth chapter 4. And Boaz, the first thing that next morning, he's at it. He's out there. He goes out to the, the town gate, you can just kind of imagine him there, He maybe a little bit nervous, just kind of watching. Am I going to find this guy? He's got to find this closer relative and work this out. And sure enough, it just so happens that as he gets to the gate, this closer relative comes walking to the gate as well. Just another evidence of the providence of God woven all throughout this book, right? Boaz is there. The closer relative is there. And he says, wait, come here, come here for the side for a minute. I I want to talk to you about something. And so they gather at the gate, and Boaz calls together some of the town elders. It's kind of a gathering place. They would all come together, and the town gate was where they would handle these these interactions, this kind of a public forum for things that would happen. So he calls these witnesses together, and he explains the situation to the man and lets him know that he, Boaz, is next in line if he refuses. You heard those verses read just a moment ago and Boaz at first, when he first presents this, only mentions the land. Did you notice that? He just says, you know, Naomi has this piece of land and, and I'm wondering if you want to buy it. And it was important that that be purchased by a relative Because the land needed to stay within the family. And you've got to understand, Israel as a nation had come out of Egypt, come out of slavery, into the promised land, right? This place that God had given to them. So this was the family's piece of the promised land. That's why it was so important. It was such a big deal to keep it within the family. And so, Boaz presents this and, and the kinsman says, yes, I'll redeem it. And at this point, maybe you're thinking, and if you're reading the story, especially for the first time, you're thinking, wait, wait a minute, we, we, just, we had this love story developing, right, between Boaz and Ruth, and it looks like it's going that way, and he's supposed to be the guy, he's supposed to be the redeemer. We're, this guy, we don't even know his name, the Bible doesn't even tell us who he was, we don't know anything about him. But before you get too upset over that, Boaz comes right back at it. drops the other sandal, so to speak, and he says in verse 5, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, by the way, you just need to know this, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead man with his property. Now apparently the relative didn't know all the details, maybe he hadn't met Ruth yet, maybe he didn't know that this involved a marriage as well, so why did it? include the marriage. Why was it that all of this was involved in this redemption? Well, again, think of this. The the family name and the property was all linked up to Elimelech. He's the head of the family. He was the father. That's Naomi's husband. And the property, the the inheritance would be passed on to his sons, through his sons, Malon and Chilion. We remember from the very beginning of this book, we were told When they went to Moab, Elimelech died, the father, and then both of the sons died, Malon and Kilion. So there is no one left to carry on the family name and work the family property. There has to be an heir. And the only way now there can be an heir is through Malon's widow, Ruth, being married and bearing a son. So when the closer relative hears that this is all part of the package deal, he himself <laughs> begins to get cold feet and he says, I don't, I don't know about this. In verse 6 he says, you know, I might endanger my own estate. I mean, I've got to think about myself here. I've got to think about uh, my holdings and my property and, and so on. See, the, the kinsman who married Ruth would be expected, I mean, this is the way it worked. This was the custom, that the first male heir from that marriage would actually be the heir of Elimelech's family. And so this kinsman who bought the property and worked the property and just kept pouring things into it, it would never be his. It would go to the family of Elimelech and to the heir that he raised in his name. And so this kinsman looks at that and he says, I don't know, I don't think I can do that. I might endanger my own estate. So, whether he had other kids, another family, we don't know. Maybe that was part of it. Maybe he looked at Ruth and he sees this Moabite woman. He says, I don't know if I want to get mixed up in that. Maybe he just didn't have the means at the moment to support a wife and a child. Or maybe, maybe Boaz was standing there giving him that just say no look. Just say, no, just, just let, let me do this. What, for whatever reason, whatever was going on here, this closer relative says, no, you do it. And he bails. And the interesting thing is we never hear of this person again. And they closed the deal in, in an interesting way. The, the, this was part of the culture. A toss. Whoa, there you go. So it was a sandal because they wore sandals, Right? And so he takes off the closer relative, takes off his sandal and hands it to Boaz. Say, what what is with that? Well, most likely it was a picture of walking on the land. You'd walk on the land on the sandals. This was an exchange of land. And so essentially, the closer relative is saying to Boaz, you take the land. You do this. You be the kinsman redeemer. And he gives his sandal as a way of Sealing the deal. And so the the narrator, it's interesting, verse 7, explains this and says this was what the custom was like in those days. So whenever this book was written, apparently that had gone out of practice, was no longer used. They didn't do the sandal thing, so he has to explain what it was about. And so they go through this process, exchange the sandal, and Boaz announces to the kinsmen and to the elders who are witnesses there. Remember, there are other people there. Verse 9 and 10. Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And apparently a crowd had gathered at the town gate at this point watching what was going on and it's almost like they erupt in applause at this point. And they announced this blessing on Boaz. So these random people from the town, they just say these words, verse 11, We are witnesses, and may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And little did they know how much that prayer would be answered, how it would come to pass, and so much more. And at this point, the narrative in Ruth really begins to fast track. So you get to verse 13, it tells us Ruth and Boaz were married, that God gave them a son who would be the heir of Elimelech's estate. So all these, you know, number of months now pass by in just one verse. And then there's this fascinating response. The women of Bethlehem come to Naomi. And remember, these were the women who saw Naomi when she, had come, when she came back from Moab. <laughs> These were the women that were there and received her and looked at her in her grief and her discouragement and her loss. She came back as a widow and as a mother who would lost two sons. And they say, the women remember, say, can this be Naomi? It doesn't even look like her. She was so overwhelmed with the grief. And it was the women of Bethlehem who heard her say, yes, God has afflicted me. They heard her bitterness, that God is against me. Don't even call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And these women, who just some months, maybe a year before, had heard all this, what do they say to Naomi now? Verse 14, Praise be to the Lord who has this day, this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. So they see this turn. They see God's hand. They see what's been provided. And and surely it seems like they're talking about Boaz, right? Boaz has been given to you as this guardian redeemer. And certainly he served in that capacity. But notice what they say next because there's something more here. Verse 15 He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Now, wait a minute. The women are talking about the child. This child who was born to Ruth and to Boaz. Because in the long run, it would be this child who would continue the family name. It would be this child who would be there to provide for Naomi and for Ruth in the later years. And it would be this child who would ultimately be their kinsman redeemer. It's an awesome story. What do we learn from it? What is there for us? I want to draw out two key principles. As we close out the book today, as we close out this series The first is this one, and it has to do with this whole Redeemer theme that's been woven throughout. And to say in a very personal way, God has not left you without a Redeemer either. God has not left you without a Redeemer. The same thing the women said to Naomi, saying God has blessed you with this Redeemer. The Bible says to you and to me, God has not left us without a Redeemer either. You know, the story of redemption obviously extends far beyond Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. It goes beyond the child, who they named Obed, by the way, we learn in those last verses. You know, the characters of the story did not even know that this family redemption would end up a few generations later producing one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. The narrator actually tells us that. It goes on to tell us in verse 17 that, Obed became the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David, the great shepherd king of Israel. And the book even concludes with a genealogy. I say, why is the genealogy here? Well, remember, we said at the beginning, this book was, was written later on, probably during the time of King David, or maybe after, to show us the line of David. And so this genealogy appears as proof of this of this line that came through Ruth and Boaz. And the writer, who wrote sometime later, who knew about King David, did not know about the next step and that from David's family line would come the Messiah, Jesus, the ultimate Redeemer. Now, we know this. We can look back on this and we can see. And the interesting thing is, the name Obed, the child from Naomi and from from Ruth and Boaz, Obed means servant. The name means servant. And down that family line would come the servant, the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. And so, what we see in hindsight, and this is the beauty of being able to read a story like this, a book like this in the Bible, and to to look back and to see all the inner workings of this, that God planned all of this, that God was the one working this redemption all along. He moved Boaz to step in as Redeemer for Naomi and Ruth so that we would have a Redeemer too in Jesus. So how does this story in Ruth picture the redemption that Jesus provides for us? I think it's a beautiful picture. So let me show you at least two parallels here. The first is this one, that Jesus has bought us out of our sinful, empty lives. That's part of what redemption means, to be bought out. And remember, that was the same that happened for Naomi and Ruth too. The famine and the death in their family took everything from them. And in a similar way, sin leaves us destitute and empty. So as kinsman redeemer, Boaz comes in and he, he restores the land, and he restores the inheritance for Naomi and for her family. And in a similar way, Jesus steps into our lives and he pays the price for the, our sin. It's exactly what he did on the cross for us. And he has given us access to the riches of heaven, inheritance of heaven. He buys us out of our sin and gives us His inheritance. That's exactly what we studied in 1 Peter just a couple months ago. Remember this from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. I'll put the words on the screen here for you. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, A lamb without blemish or defect. See, Peter got this. He understood this, that our redemption, that's what Jesus did by his own blood, not with anything tangible, not with silver or gold, but by his blood he purchased us out of our sin. Paul says it too, Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us bought out of our sin, lavished by grace and the riches of God's righteousness. But there's another aspect of our redemption that this story draws out, right? Remember what Boaz said to that other closer relative. Essentially, he was saying to him, yeah, hey, wait, it's not just about the property. This is also about bride this is about a marriage this is about a relationship the redemption the kinsman redeemer was about a relationship and that's the same true as true for us jesus has invited us into an eternal relationship the redemption is not just about the forgiveness of sin as wonderful as that is it's about stepping into a relationship of grace with him Jesus came to redeem His bride, the church. That's us. We're Ruth in the story. And He's willing to take us, even though we're foreigners, even though we're outcasts, even though we're sinners, just as Boaz was willing to take Ruth as a foreigner, as a Moabite. And just as Boaz risked his estate He was willing to do what the other relative was not willing to do. He said, no, I can't risk my own stuff. Boaz took that risk. He was willing to do that. He put it all out there on the table. And Jesus did the same for us, right? Not just risking an estate. He gave his very life in order to have a relationship with us, in order to make us, the church, his bride. We are the redemption story. We are the story of Ruth. Notice how Paul describes this. i give you a few New Testament descriptions so you see how this comes to life for us. Galatians 3, verse 14, "...he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Holy Spirit." Bringing us into God's family, His chosen people. And then in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, same thing. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our redemption brings us into the family, brings us into the kingdom of God as His people. The, the, The story of Ruth Shows us in living color the wonder, the beauty, the personalness of our redemption. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. And we can call him a kinsman because of the incarnation, because he came to earth as one of us as a human being that made him our kinsman, and he became our redeemer when he went to the cross and died for our sin, and three days later rose again from the dead to give us the hope of eternal life. Kinsman, redeemer, that's Jesus. And he did it for us. In the book of Ruth, maybe, I hope, as you've heard it over these last weeks, helps you appreciate your redemption more than ever. Or if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, I hope it gives you a desire for that redemption relationship. Because right now, maybe you're where Ruth and Naomi were, in need of a Savior, in need of a kinsman redeemer. And if so, what you need to hear this morning is He's right here. He's made the offer to you. All you have to do is say yes, in faith. He wants to be your kinsman redeemer. So the book of Ruth is this beautiful story. Notice this. I want you to see this in a couple of phrases. We've said these a couple times through the book, but watch them here on the screen. He took, God took Naomi and Ruth from poverty to full provision. He took them from emptiness to fullness. He took them from affliction. That's what Naomi said. She, God has afflicted me to affection, the love of a relationship as Boaz responded as kinsman redeemer. And then finally, from bitterness, as Naomi said, she was bitter when she came back, to blessing. And the fourth chapter is full of this blessing. Those are the elements of redemption. You know, we've had another beautiful story of this this morning. If you needed another story besides Ruth and Naomi, you heard it in the story of the house of grace. Our mission's focus today, Right? It's a story of redemption. Bert described this for us. These are girls who have been rescued out of poverty, and many of them out of slavery, out of human trafficking, out of who knows what other kind of horrors. They've been rescued and brought into a family. The House of Grace is this beautiful family of girls, the same in Ghana, the same in Thailand, where they bring them in and love them and show them the love of Christ and you can see that on the smiles of their beautiful faces. They've been redeemed because of people in that ministry who are loving on them, caring on them, or people like you and churches like Trinity who give and support and families who have chosen to sponsor those girls. So not only do they have a family there, now many of them, most of them, the way they've arranged this, they have a family in the U.S. or Canada or somewhere else. And they tell us in their newsletters, many of those families stay connected with those girls throughout their lives. That's the blessing of redemption, bought out of horribleness, terribleness, and given a family. And that's what Christ has done for us, out of our sin, into His family. The book of Ruth, I hope, gives you a renewed appreciation for our kinsman redeemer. But it also does one other thing I want to emphasize this morning too, is it shows us how to live in light of God's sovereignty. How to do it in our world, how to do it in our lives, and it's our second principle today. And it's simply this, God invites you to live under the blessing of His sovereign rule. I think there's a reason why the book of Ruth closes with this reminder that it carries on through the line of David, which as we described goes on to the the kingly line uh, of Christ himself, of the Messiah. And we've seen throughout the book how God was guiding circumstances and events in every way. Remember all the times we said it just so happened and we realized it didn't just happen. This was God's hand involved in this And what we see by the end of the book is that God's plan was bigger than anybody imagined. It went further than anybody expected because that's always the way it is with God's plans and God's work because that's the nature of God's kingdom. And that should evoke in us a submission to that, a willingness, a desire to follow God, to live under His authority not just because somebody tells us to, but because we see Him and honor Him as King and because we understand that we need to live our lives in obedience and submission to Him because He is King and because His plans for us are good. So King Jesus reigns over all. We see that in the line that emerges from the the book of Ruth. And we see that we've been redeemed to live as citizens of that kingdom. Yes, members of the family of God, but citizens of His kingdom too. So if you'll indulge me just a moment, let me just explain how I think this applies to us right here, right now, as citizens of God's kingdom. Because in our our current events, I think bring this, put it right in our face every day. You know, some weeks ago when we all witnessed the attack on the Capitol, and I think it was a reminder to us that there are people, if we needed reminding, the people in our nation that think that change comes through force, through intimidation, through violence. And we don't see it, we didn't just see it there, we've seen it many other times before. We saw it this summer from the polar opposite extreme politically in violent riots in cities with the same... Mistaken idea that change comes through violence and intimidation and force. But what we know is that both sides, both extremes, both ideas are absolutely wrong. Because we understand God's kingdom and how it works. Because here's what we know as Christians is that Christ is not asking, is not telling us as believers that we're supposed to bring in His kingdom through force, through taking over a government, before ruling over people. That's not how it will come. It will come through Christ's return. Only Jesus Christ can and will rule this world one day in perfect righteousness and justice. Only Him. Back to the superlatives we sang at the beginning of the service. He is the only one, the only holy God. Some believe that we'll be saved by government. Some think it's one side or the other. It's one party or another. It's one leader or another. What we know is that the only government that will one day truly lead us into justice and righteousness is the kingdom of God led by Jesus our King. It's the only way. So the reality is because of that, we don't need to, to worry. We don't need to fret. We don't need to get upset because you've seen through history, it doesn't matter who controls the governments of earth, of mankind, because God is still on the throne regardless. He is king. And put it in another realm because this we've been all been fighting with for this past year. Some believe if we can just get through this year, just get through this, this COVID crisis, get over this pandemic, then everything will go back to normal, everything will be fine, it'll be good again, and that may be true eventually for a while, but what we also know from God's Word is that things are going to continue to get worse. There will be another pandemic, there will be more wars, That will the earth will still fall apart the kingdoms of this earth will still rage until our king, Jesus, comes back and sets it all right again. And so We need to remember that. that that's, I think this book calls us to that as well. If, if you see anything in Ruth, you see the sovereign hand of God through everything, every aspect of the story. And we need to know and remember that that is true now, today, in our world just as much. Jesus is the ruler. He is king, and he is working his sovereign plan for the glory of God. So what do we do? Well, Because of that, we should submit to his plan. We should be following his plan. We should be obeying him in any and every way that we possibly can. We've got to put his kingdom first. That's what Jesus said, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and these other things will come into place. Join him in his work. Follow his plan. Obey the king. And the book of Ruth ends with this parade of blessings. And it's not just to give a nice ending to a nice story, by the way. The book of Ruth ends with these blessings in a very intentional way. It's to show that because Ruth and Naomi and Boaz were doing exactly what I just described, listening to God, following God, being obedient to Him, stepping into His plan, even when it was risky, even when it was potentially dangerous to themselves, because they followed God, the story ends in blessing. When we submit ourselves to God's plan is when we experience the blessing of that obedience. I want to summarize those blessings really quickly here. First, we see the blessing of restored provisions. This really wraps up the series. Remember, we've called the series Restored. Here it is right here, restored provision. You see how it ties into redemption as well. Naomi and Ruth lost their their husbands. They lost their source of provision and protection. They had no one to work the land for them, and then God gives them Boaz, kinsman redeemer. He restores their land. He provides for them. He protects them. It's the blessing of restored provision. And it's the blessing the people speak on them in that last chapter. And then second, there's the blessing of restored belonging. And again, you see the connection to redemption. Because in losing her husband and sons, Naomi had lost her prospects for a future family line. Ruth left her family and her homeland back there in Moab, so she had no place to belong either until God put Boaz in their lives And through the blessing of this son, Obed, now they have a family again. Now they belong. The kinsman redeemer restored their belongingness. And in Christ, we have received those same blessings. So don't miss this. If you know Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, then you have experienced the blessing of provision and the blessing of belonging. You have provision not only in this life where God says He will meet every need, but you have provision for eternity because God says He's preparing a home for you. And you have belonging because God says you've been brought into His family and you are part of His family now and you will be a part of His family forever. Restored provision and restored belonging. And those are the blessings of redemption. I want to close today by camping on those blessings. I want to do it in in song, so I'm going to ask the team to come on up and, and be prepared to lead us in this closing song. But I want you to hear the words from Scripture first because the words of the song are taken right from the Bible. I want us to do this because just as God brought this blessing on Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and Obed, redemption speaks blessing to us. And so I want you to to experience the beauty and the wonder of a blessing. These are the words that God gave to Aaron and the priest and told them, use these words to bless the nation of Israel. This is from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And then God says in the very next verse, verse 27, So they they will put My name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. If you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, God has put His name on you. And He wants to bless you and to keep you. And to provide for you. So as you receive this blessing today, and I encourage you, if you want to sing along, sing along. Or just listen to the words as God's blessing to you this morning. Realize that you can trust the sovereign king who loves you. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you. The one who chose to be your redeemer. Receive this blessing today.